farewell to a loving church. This is uh, my last sermon here as your pastor, and, uh, but hopefully it's not the last uh, forever. We'll come back and uh, visit you and see you from time to time. But we'll be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, so let me encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, because I want you to understand here this morning that prayer is, a, is vital to the success of a church. Prayer is vital to the success of a church. Now, uh, ever since we've announced that we'll be moving up north to start a church, many have asked, how can we help? How can we help? Well, the generosity and the kindness of this church has been felt since day one. As Michael already mentioned, uh, you know, Valor and I can never repay you of the kindness that you've shown our family, especially during the time when she's had these surgeries. Uh, many of you have uh, stepped up and, and assisted her especially, and so I'm grateful for that. And so thank you for your kindness over the, the last uh, six and a half years of ministry here at Southwest Baptist Church. When thinking about my final words here to Southwest Baptist Church before we head north, I was reminded of the words of Paul when he spoke some final words to the church of Thessalonica. I believe that Paul's final address conveys what's on my heart here this morning. So let's open up our Bibles and let's read 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it, as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. Here we have some final comments. Uh, Paul is uh, parting uh, with the, uh, the Thessalonians, Thessalonians here, and, and these, are, these are Paul's parting comments that he's made. The main part of the letter is now finished. The apostle has completed his teaching about the second coming and the events surrounding the second coming, and now he addresses some personal matters and some practical matters. And he begins by asking for prayer for himself and, some fe and his fellow workers as well, as he did at the close of his first epistle. Now, it, it was a, a strength and a comfort to him, as it is with every minister of Christ, to know that he was remembered in prayer by those who loved him. Many of you have committed to pray for us and the work that God has called us to do. My wife and I, we take great comfort in that, knowing that you're here praying for us. One of the most effective actions that you can do that will have the greatest influence and impact on our ministry is to pray. That doesn't mean that there won't be some practical things in the future, but we want to start this ministry bathed in prayer. We don't want to do anything without God guiding us and directing us, and so we do that through prayer. But this not only applies to our ministry up north, but it also applies to your ministry right here at Southwest Baptist. Now, one may be wondering why a man such as Paul, such so strong in the faith, would be asking prayers from others. I mean, he, he was probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, apostle that ever lived. He did three missionary journeys throughout the known world. He was zealous for the Lord. He wrote half of the books in the New Testament. It's obvious that God was using him. So why does he ask the church for prayer? In fact, it shouldn't be the other way around. Maybe the church should be asking him for prayer, right? Well, Paul had a, uh, some personal circumstances that required prayer. He was writing to the Thessalonians when he was in Corinth. 
and the Christians, uh, the, the, the Corinth there uh, at, uh, at, at, at Corinth were, were very lascivious in, the, in their conduct. Uh, they they uh, uh, was, was living wicked lives. And so Paul had a spiritual warfare and a battle that he was, uh, he was battling with the Corinth culture in order to save the Corinthian people. There was also another spiritual, spiritual battle taking place. Some of the Jews had rejected his teachings. So Paul was getting hit from both sides here. Persecution against him was great. He needed the prayers of his people in order to sustain him. There are times in the life of a, a minister where they become discouraged and they become weary in battle. And the temptation to give up or, or to give into a, a sin is just around the corner. So don't underestimate your prayers for your pastors and your leaders. Because if Satan can get a hold of your leader, he can destroy this church. There are many things in life of a pastor that can distract him or derail his attention. So your pastors, your leaders, your missionaries, we all need your prayers. Because when you pray, God works. Pray for protection of your leader. Pray for their encouragement. Pray that they would not grow weary in well-doing. Pray that God will give them wisdom as they lead his people. And in his final words here, he refers to the church as his family. There's a family connection there. In verse 1, he says, finally, brethren. Finally, brethren. And if there's some ladies in there, we, he may talk about brothers and sisters in Christ. We talk about that often. Because we're all children of God if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. Ministers aren't superhumans. Some want to elevate pastors beyond what they should to the point where the church is all about the personality of a man rather than the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And there are some ministers out there who want to elevate themselves beyond what they should, therefore making themselves the focus. But Paul here uses the term brothers. Though he had been chosen of God and called of God to go around the world, and to preach the gospel. There's also a humbleness here about Paul. He doesn't flaunt his calling or position. He is just another brother in Jesus Christ. I like that about Paul. The ministerial office has its special responsibilities and also its special traits and tribulations that others may not understand. There are situations that a pastor must deal with behind closed doors that probably most of you would not be aware of. And sometimes those situations cause us a lot of hurt and pain for the pastor. And contrary to popular opinion, the pastor doesn't work just on Sundays and takes the rest of the week off. Oftentimes, they're meeting with people during the week who are struggling with some aspects of their life, or they're struggling with relationships, or, or maybe they're falling away from the faith, and we want to try to help bring them back into the fold. But nothing helps a pastor more efficiently discharge his duties than the constant prayer of a loving and devoted people. So Paul here is asking his brothers and sisters to pray for him. We sometimes do things for family that maybe we don't do for others. And Paul wants them to know that they are a part of his family. And I want you to know here this morning that you are part of my family. You are my brothers and sisters. He goes on to focus his concern. In verse 1 he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. And he focuses his concern on prayer. Pray for us. Paul is asking for prayer for himself and his fellow ministers. Paul is the only New Testament writer who asks prayer from those to whom he writes. Maybe that's why God used him to such great capacity. 
Paul knew that the success of his ministry in some measure depended upon the prayers of God's people. This is why your pastor needs your prayers. We go through the same trials and tribulations as anyone, and oftentimes the larger the church, the greater the microscope your pastor is placed under. But if a church is willing to get behind its leaders, its pastors, its missionaries in prayer, the church or the ministry will flourish. Great things happen when God's people pray. More is required than great preaching. I mean, after all, Paul was a great preacher. And yet he still required prayer for his ministry. Prayer is very different than preaching. Yet they work together hand in hand. Here's some differences here. Prayer speaks to God for mankind, but preaching speaks to mankind for God. Prayer seeks to bring God to mankind, but preaching aims to bring mankind to God. Prayer moves God towards mankind, but preaching persuades mankind to seek after God. Prayer makes known to God mankind's request, but preaching reveals to mankind God's mind and will. Preaching casts the seed, but prayer brings the rain and the sunshine to bring it to fruition. Preaching deposits the leaven, but prayer secures the hands to work it. Preaching utters the good tidings, but prayer carries the sound to the ear to make it understood. And preaching is doing the practical work which man can do, but prayer asks for what only God can do. If you want God to work in your life and in the life of this ministry, it starts with prayer. If Paul, with all of his supernatural endowments, required the prayers of God's people, how much more is prayer required for ordinary ministers like myself? Oh, we need prayer. So I ask you here this morning to pray for us. And many of you have already committed to do so. But not only pray for us, but pray specifically, as we see in verse 1, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Some of your Bibles may have free course. That it may run, that it may go swiftly without any interruptions. Many of you know that we're moving, and um, uh, one of the things we have to do when we move is we have to get the house all fixed up and cleaned up. And, and uh, at our last report, the agent came in and, uh, and looked at our house, and she put on the bottom of her report, um, uh, she didn't like our top plants. You know what top plants are? Those are the plants that we actually grow at the top of the house. You know, the ones in the gutter? She didn't like our top plants. I said, all right. So, so th- this week I decided I'd get up there with the, uh, the ladder, and I, w- I removed, there's only a couple, so I removed a few up, and I said, you know, I've got to clean the gutter. That's part of my responsibility. And so um, I got up there, and I had a look and had my hose. I said, you know what? It's really not all that dirty. It's only just like a little bit of dirt in there, so I'd probably get away with it. And so I thought about, you know, just leaving it, and I said, no, no, no. I said, I, I had to, to clean this. And so I got out my hose, and I said, I'll just do a really quick sweep, you know, just to say, hey, I've cleaned it. So I got my hose and I started, uh, I started shooting it down the, the, the gutter. And then something I realized, you had these little mud cakes that just started to appear. And what happened is the, the roof actually covers part of the gutter. And so there were some hidden things underneath there that I couldn't see. And as I began to ply the water, those little mud cakes began to start sliding down. And they started going, to, uh, going down the, the gutter. And there's a little bar there that holds up the gutter. And they would hit that. And then all of a sudden, all my water would be damming up. And so I had to get off my ladder, go another couple of meters, get up on my ladder, put my hand in that muck and that, 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 all that poo from the birds and all the, the, the spider webs and everything else. And, and no, I didn't wear a glove because real men don't wear gloves. <laughs> and I just stuck my hand in there, chucked it out, stuck it in there, chucked it out, got it all done, fired up the hose again, and started spraying again. And then these little 
mud cake started coming down again. I was like, oh, man. So I got up, you know, go down another couple of meters and, and stuck my hand in there again and ripped out all the filth and stuff that was in there. And what I thought was going to take, like, kind of, you know, a 30-minute job, you know, ended up taking me half a day. And then my wife comes home. And she goes out, she gets out of the car, and she looks around, and she says, what on earth happened? She says, it looks like a, a dog with diarrhea had a field day in our, in, our, in our yard, man. There's little mud cakes all over the place. And for the record, she didn't notice the gutter. Just telling you. But I could get up in my gutter, and I could get on one end of the house now, and I could spray my hose, and it would go all the way to the other end, down the dock, down, down pipe. It has free course. It's able to flow. It's not hindered. You see, there are things sometimes that hinder the gospel. We've experienced that here at Southwest Baptist with all the COVID stuff that's happening. There was a time where we couldn't even come and meet. And so we had to get creative and had to find another way that we could go and, and allow the gospel to flow without being unhindered. So there's things that are sometimes out, out of our control that we can't control that hinders the gospel. But you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes there's things that happen that are within our control that hinder the gospel. Just like that, that roof covered up part of that eve. Sometimes we have secret sin and we have secret things in our own life that sometimes would hinder the gospel. We have these secret addictions in our life that sometimes would hinder the gospel. Because, you know, how can we go out and tell somebody, hey, you can have freedom of Jesus Christ when we're battling with bondage in our own life? And so, in the word, so, we, so, we, so we just don't do it. We don't go out there. We don't want to feel hypocritical. How can we go and share some, something with somebody else that we're not living out in our own life? And so therefore, that in and of itself becomes a hindrance to the gospel, and we don't share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. What we need to do is we need to get our hands in that muck, in that filth, and we need to pull that stuff out of our lives. We need to man up. We need to clean those things out of our life. We need to ask God to give us clean hands and pure hearts so that the gospel can continue on freely without being unhindered. When you look at the scriptures here, these words imply that, that there's hindrances to the spread of the gospel in Corinth. Our Lord Jesus Christ had forewarned his apostles about these obstacles when he spoke to them about the hatred and the persecution that they were going to encounter. For the gospel's sake. This word. This word of the Lord has a special message to mankind. And it needs to have free course. It needs to have free course. Remove the obstacles by your own hand if possible. But in every instance, ask the Lord who spoke this word to give his word free course. Paul asked for prayer so that the word can run freely without being hindered. Paul's prayer request makes us wonder how often God's word is hindered because of our prayerlessness. I believe that prayer is probably one of the greatest untapped resources among Christians and believers today. When we have shallow prayer lives, we have shallow ministries. But ladies and gentlemen, we must understand that we are in a spiritual battle and we need every weapon at our disposal. We may be playing games with God, but I assure you, Satan's not playing games. He's out for blood, and he will do everything he can to destroy you. He will do everything he can to thwart God's plan in your life and mine. So we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what only God can call us to do. Now, I've just uh, talked to you about the, the gospel having free course. 
But I think I would be amiss if I didn't take the time to share with you what the gospel is. You see, God loves you. And because of our sin, there's a separation between us and God. And that's not what God wanted for us. He wants a relationship with us. He desires a relationship with us. He wants that closeness with us. And so we sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and died on the cross in order to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. It's that sin that separates us from God. And, and Jesus Christ says, hey, listen, I'll come and I'll take care of that so that you can have a relationship with God. And so Jesus came and He took your place on the cross. He took my place. He took our sin. He paid that sin. He paid that price. He, took, he was the ransom for us. And he died. They put him in the grave. And he rose again the third day. Listen, that's the one thing that makes our religion different from any other religion in the world. You can go to these uh, leaders of these other religions and you can go to their graves and you can still see their bones. Their bones are still there. Let me ask you here this morning, how can somebody who is dead offer you life? But not with Jesus. Oh no, he rose again the third day. You can go to his grave, his bones are not there. He grabbed the keys of death and because of that, he can offer you eternal life here this morning. And if that's a need that you have, I know that uh, you know, this, this is, is, is sort of about us and things like that. But you know what, honestly, that's secondary. Your relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ, that's primary. And if you have a need, if you need Jesus Christ here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please come and see me afterwards or see one of the staff members. And we'd love to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. Or you can uh, fill out your connection card and we'll set up a time with you. We can come and share with you the gospel. But he goes on to say in verse 1, And be glorified. God will be glorified. God is glorified when we do His will when we bring honor and glory to Him, when we share our faith with people so that they can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Godly pastors don't preach the Word for their own glory. They do it in order to glorify God. The purpose in this life of a Christian is to bring glory and honor to God in everything we do. And this is exactly what Paul told the church of Corinth. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, Therefore, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, what does it say? Do all for the glory of God. Whether you're starting a pastor, whether you're starting a church, or whether you're pastoring a church, or whether you're teaching a public school, or landscaping a part, or park, or putting out fires, or scrubbing toilets, it doesn't matter. You do it all for the glory of God. Our purpose in life is to bring glory to Him. He goes on to say, in verse 1, just as it is with you. Just as it is with you. Here we talk about duplication. You just heard Michael say, churches start churches. This would have been encouraging to the Thessalonica church there. The apostle is referring to them as an illustration of what God can do and what he will do when the gospel has free course. Look back on your life. What has God done for you? Do you know what? He can do that for others as well. How has God changed your life? He can change the life of others as well. We've seen a number, a number of people that have been saved and baptized and grow in their faith and they serve God with a servant's heart since we've been here at Southwest Baptist Church. Just as it is with you, our desire is to do the same in Alchemos. Just as it is with you. Paul goes on to say, 
and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Here he's asking for protection from unreasonable and wicked men. He's asking for deliverance. The word deliverance there means to be rescued or preserved. Paul has probably uh, had in mind the unbelieving Jewish zealots who were so enraged against him for preaching salvation to the Gentiles without requiring them to obey the law. In Michael's past series on Galatians here, he's referred to some of that. You know what's going on there. You know what's happening. They followed him from place to place and raised a furious storm of persecution against him wherever they found him by inflaming both the rulers and the people against him. And they had made a revolt at Corinth and they were intending to put him to death. Can you imagine being put to death because you want to go and share the love of Jesus with other people? This is what was happening in Paul's life. These were the ones who wanted to hinder the, the work of the gospel. So Paul wanted God to either deliver him from such men or change them to reasonable and godly men. Of course, there's always going to be opposition to the word of God and the work of God. Paul asked his friends to pray that he might be delivered from unbelieving men who were evil and wicked. And just as the Spirit uses dedicated people to share the word, Satan will use wicked people to oppose the word. Unfortunately, even those who claim to be Christians can be used of Satan if their motives are not in check. And it was the case here. Those who were claiming to be of God were causing the greatest hindrance to Paul's ministry. So Paul prayed for deliverance and protection. But also he talked about the faithless as well. It seems like the apostle was not only referring to Jews but who were boasting about their faith in the true God, but also the Greek philosophers who had assumed for themselves the pompous title of lovers of wisdom or lovers of truth. There are a number of people who can wax eloquently and they are seemingly full of knowledge, and yet they will lead people astray. They will work against the things of God. These Greek philosophers would challenge Paul and attempt to pull people away from the truth. And so Paul's desire is that they pray regarding these unbelievers who desire to harm him physically or to harm his reputation. In our culture today, Christian hostilities are increasing. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Churches are under attack for preaching the truth. Christian businesses are, are being sued for making faith-based decisions. Christians are being charged with hate crimes and losing their jobs for posting religious content on social media page. We know that in the last days, in the last times, there will be some that despise those that do good. So we expect these attacks on Christianity to intensify. But we pray for protection so that the gospel will have free course and be unhindered. He talks about his faithful Christ. Verse 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. He encourages them to, to trust in the Lord. Sometimes this can be hard and difficult because we don't like to be left in the dark. We don't like to give up the reins. It's hard for us to let go of a situation and give it over to God. But we must understand that He is faithful even when others are not. He goes on to say, who will establish you? Who will establish you? This is remnant of what Paul said earlier in 2 Thessalonians 2.16. He says, May the Lord our God, may the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and God our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 
Listen, we are in good hands here. Both Jesus Christ and God the Father loves us, and they are looking after us. They are the ones who will establish us in every good word and work. How will they do that? He goes on to say they will guard you from the evil one. Guard you from the evil one. Who is the evil one? Well, we know from other scriptures that the evil one is Satan. Satan can do nothing without God's permission. Again, Paul talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, such as common to man. But notice this next bit. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the, the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We must pray that God would not only protect ourselves from evil, but also protect our pastors our leaders, our missionaries, and their families. And their families. It's so important to pray for their families as well. If Satan can cause a leader to fall, then he can ruin a church as well. I mean, just in the last 10 years, we've seen well-known leader after leader deny the faith or get caught in some gross sin, hurting the testimony of Christ in the church. Let us not think for one moment that it can't happen to us. We need God's protection to keep us from the evil one. Verse 4, he goes on to say, and have the confidence in the Lord concerning you. We have confidence. We trust in the Lord concerning you. A captain uh, was once, uh, he rushed into the presence of a general in hot haste and said, General, General, we can never fight them. They are so numerous. Captain, the general said calmly, we're not here to count them. We're here to conquer them. And conquer them we will. And conquer them they did. Our confidence is not in our ability to do what we can do. Our confidence is in the Lord. In fact, Dr. Bob Cook said, if you can explain what's going on, then God isn't doing it. This is his church. And he has promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But when a church starts to move from Christ and they start to compromise, when a church starts to put their confidence in an individual, eventually that individual cannot withstand the weight of that responsibility and they will fall and the church will fall. Paul has confidence that his readers will not yield to Satan but will permit the faithful Lord to establish them and to guard them from the evil one. We cannot have confidence in ourselves, but we can have confidence in God for ourselves and for others. Our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. And this is seen and done in our relationship to our obedience. He goes on to say that we will do these things that we've commanded you. It's about obedience. Paul expresses his good opinion of the greater part of Thessalonian brethren. It shows that, that God's work of establishing and guarding us is done in part through His appeal to our will and obeying His Word. Get that. God doesn't just pour out spiritual maturity and stability on us. He works it in through us, through our cooperation with His will. We can't expect God to guide us and direct us if we're not living a life of obedience to Him. It's not enough that the pastor of the church leads alone in order to share the word of God, each Christian must have a vital part in this ministry. The word command there that Paul used in 2 Thessalonians 3, 4 means a military order pressed down from a superior officer. 
And he uses this word again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, and he repeats it again in 2 Thessalonians 3, 4, 6, 10, and 12. He uses this term over and over and over again. Christ is the captain of our salvation, and we are his soldiers. And look at what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. In a battle, it's not enough for the officers to fight. Every man has to go and do their duty. And it's also true for the local church as well. This is why we have Connect grow because our ultimate goal is what serve thank you our ultimate goal is to serve our lord jesus christ what if an army were to run the same way as with a lack of obedience and order and discipline that we often see in some local churches man they would never win the war if a soldier attended drill whenever they felt like it, they would never be equipped for the army for, for, for the enemy. You know, I, I'm sorry to say, but I see a lot of Christians, and they just oh, I'll just go to church whenever I feel like it. They, it's a very casual Christianity. And they don't understand that there is a battle going on. The enemy is right around the corner. They need to do everything they can in order to prepare for that battle. Otherwise, they will be defeated. We must obey our calling in life. When we do, God will provide direction. Which goes on to verse 5 here. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. Here we're talking about direction. To this end, Paul wisely prayed for both love and patience for the Thessalonian Christians. These two qualities are essential for the kind of spiritual stability and strength Thessalonians needed and that each ministry needs today and the battle that we face. A soldier obeys primarily out of loyalty and fear, but a Christian has a much higher motive for obedience. We have God's love, and we have Christ's return that Paul had just been talking about. A commanding officer does not require his men to love him, but if they do, they will respect and obey him with greater diligence. The history of warfare records heroic deeds done by men who loved their leaders and was willing to die for them. We need the Lord to direct us into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. I started out saying that prayer is vital to the success of a church. Many of you have asked, how can we help? Well, the greatest thing you can do for us is to pray for us. Yes, there will be some practical help that we'll need from time to time. In fact, many of you are coming over to our house this week to help us get all the house fixed up and, and the yards fixed up and everything else, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you so much for that. But, but what we, the main thing that we need is, is the greatest need is that, is that we need your prayers. Samuel Chadwick said, One concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toll. He mocks at our wisdom but he trembles when we pray. The outline given you here this morning is a great starting point for your prayers. Not only for us, but also for your ministry here at Southwest Baptist Church. Brothers and sisters, we love you. We'll miss you greatly. But you will be in our prayers as we move to the next stage of our ministry. And I want to say thank you once again for your love and kindness over the last six years of ministry. It's been our privilege and honor to serve you and, and to minister with you here at Southwest Baptist Church as your pastor.
you will always have a place in our hearts. So I'll close uh, with prayer, and then we'll take a quick walk down memory lane at our journey here at Southwest Baptist Church. Lord, we do thank you so much for allowing us to to be here at this ministry in this church, Lord. I thank you for the invitation from Michael to come and to be a part of this because I don't know what my life would be like if I hadn't made the connections here at Southwest Baptist Church. So, Lord, it's been a privilege, it's been an honor, it's been a blessing. And, and Lord, I know that I have grown myself, Lord, and become a better person, a better preacher because of the connections that we've made here at Southwest. And so, Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for our time here. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon this church, Lord. And we pray that the gospel will continue on unhindered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.